Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your singing, dancing, stocking-wearing host, Scott Weatherly. And as always, I'm joined by Julian Darius. Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Straight from Transylvania. <laughs> yeah, this is a good choice this week. Um, we are going to be doing uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, now, this is two two weeks in a row. We, we did, uh, you know, a, a sort of... I'm going to be careful using the word camp. Because I know it holds sort of like you know other connotations, but the camp classic Barbarella, the '60s sort of sex kitten uh, type thing, jumping forward sort of like ten years, it's a, it's the same sort of like we're doing a, another camp classic, um, but in a very very different vein, really, um, in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But you, you, this is one of your choices, uh, I think. So you said that this is this is quite close to your heart and stuff, really. So. When did you come across this then, Julian? What are your what are your roots with this film? Well, I, I love this film <laughs> so <laughs> amazingly. Um, I uh, discovered it when I was a teenager. And a uh, bit of backstory, I grew up sort of all across the country, and I had been living in, outside of L.A. Um, until, like, third grade. And then I my parents moved to uh, rural Illinois. So I went from, you know, Pasadena to a town where literally my block ended in a cornfield. Um, so, you know, I was in a very different milieu um, and, you know, it was a much more repressive one. Um, it was, you know, behind the times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, in my high school, there was one openly gay kid. He had been uh, a friend of mine, and I was the only one who stayed friends with him. And I remember talking to him, uh, you know, before school would start, and the rest of the class would, you know, just be staring at us. And, you know, they'd think, uh, yeah, Julian's probably gay if he's hanging out with uh, Dave there. And, you know, I'd just be like, okay, you think what you want to think. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, beaten up for um walking differently and you know they made it pretty clear that uh it was for having an effeminate walk and you know they sort of implied that it was uh because they thought i was gay um so i mean that was the climate in which i grew up you know uh in purgatory in the midwest and Rocky, you know, my sort of like alternative indie friends who, you know, played guitar and listened to Dead Milkman and, you know, stuff like that, um, got me into Rocky. And we started going to these midnight shows. And here was a totally different world. Mm -hmm. You know, here was, um, you know, and rewatching it, the way in which Frankenfurter, first of all, not only, you know, Tim Curry is so wonderful. Oh, he is awesome <laughs> in this. 
but you know it's clear that uh even though he tyrannizes these these minions around him they find him attractive he's alluring he is so unapologetic in his sexuality and um the fact that this was celebrated was so opening and so liberating um and even though you know i didn't end up identifying as gay i still found myself incredibly liberated by this this freedom and this presentation uh, and it let me be a lot more comfortable not only with my sexuality with all the odds and ends that all of us have mm -hmm. but also you know liking fashion or you know it's okay to like these girly things or these things that are coded that way so um it certainly is incredibly dear to my heart uh for those reasons uh, what about you? No, weirdly, we sort of talked about this off air a little bit, um, you know, last week. Sort of, uh, I I didn't watch this film till later in life. Uh, it's one of those that sort of like you know about, you know, it's it's sort of, um, I I knew it as, um, as you said, the midnight showings. The sort of I knew that there were these events and stuff. And I remember when I was at uni in the early two thousands. Like that was, you know, there was a thing. I know people that went to them, you know, in, in fancy dress, and there was the whole thing along and stuff. And it sounded awesome. And I, that's when I first sort of saw it. Um, and it, 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 at the time, I was saying, like, it was fun, but it never really sort of like struck that major chord with me. Like, it wasn't that sort of like, oh, I think I was into other things at the time. It's like, oh, it's a cool film. And that was it. Um, and so I've sort of seen it a couple of times since, but I, I've always seen it in that vein of a musical. You know, now the reason for that though is because the time, the song, the time warp. I have known that song before I've known this film. That song is um, just a part of British culture in in the same way that songs like the Okie Koki or um, these other like baffling songs that become like just standard party songs. So. This is what's like. Let me put it this way: I have heard this song played at kids' birthday parties from the age of like three onwards. Like I've known this at like kids' birthday parties, at weddings, at christenings, and all these different things, where you know this song comes on, you you hear that dun 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 dun, dun, dun from the beginning, and everyone goes, oh, "I love this song! I love this song!" And everyone races to the dance floor and does the sort of the motions of "Put your hands on your hips" and gets and really gets into it. And then you watch the film and you think, I don't think many people know where this comes from. <laughs> like, yeah, there's all the all these Tories going, you yeah. know, it's just a jump to the left, yeah, and yeah. you know, then they go vote anti-gay. Well, that's the thing. Like, yeah, I've known like you know old women, like grannies and stuff, going, I love this. <laughs> this song is so much fun, and you know, um, that's where this sort of song has come from for me. And then to know it, there's a there's a version of this song which I think was released as a single. She's very very. The the this um, compilation is a bit different to what's in the film, but then you see it in the film, and it's just so. All the music in this film is is amazing. Um, it's only really in the last couple of watches, and I watched it the other night. Uh, Alex and I both watched it actually, and I was just like, actually, this film is a joy. Like there's there's an energy to this film that is just incredible. And having watched it this time, I think when everything's over and we're all back to sort of being able to go to the cinema stuff, I'm going to find a midnight show of this and I'm going to go because I can imagine it just, just just watching it was fun. Watching this with people must be incredible. Um, yeah. Well, when I was a teenager, they had published um, 
I, I forget if it was like now or, or one of those indie comics publishers did like a three issue adaptation and it had in the back of it. Yes. No, I'm not. I'm, it was black and white. And we had those comics and we got together. And in the back of those comics was uh, the audience participation. And so we just sat there memorizing, <laughs> having never, you know, like I, I don't, maybe we had been to one show or something, but we just sit there day after day after day memorizing this stuff. And then we'd make up our own yeah. that like only we knew, you know, and then we'd go. And, you know, so we did that a lot. And then I went to Hawaii and saw it in Hawaii. And in Hawaii, I'm like the only one yelling out certain lines <laughs> that are the Midwest and they have lines that I'm like, I, what is that? I've never heard that. Um, and I've seen it since and it, it kind of continues to grow and evolve. And, uh, you know, there are lines that I still remember that like w- were made up in a room with us that I, that I've heard other people say mm. just because it catches on and nobody knows where it comes from and it's different wherever you go. So, yeah, I mean, we sat there and memorized all that stuff. <laughs> well, it, it, it is. It's a phenomenon. But like, it's, 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 there's like um, there's a list of like the top cult films, aren't there? They're films that sort of like you know, the the mainstream may have heard of, but there's a real passion and drive for these films elsewhere. And this is the oh, this has got to be up there for the, those sorts of things. Um, but th- this I have to admit, this was probably the first time because I'm doing it for the show. That I've really focused in on, like plot and some of the characterizations and stuff that I'd, I'd left. I just, you know, just because you, you get carried away by it all. And there were several points where I was like, "Hmm, I'd never noticed that before." That sort of I want to bring up um, in a bit. Uh, but yeah, it's just a, it is. I can see why this is a phenomenon. Um, and I will say the, the final thing before I give a quick of the plot and the details is um t- b- before i watched this tim curry to me was a very you know i, I it, it he, he obviously is the clown from it uh and um also clue uh, mm. the, the 19th, i love i love that film that's an incredible and i also from like things like home alone 2 so to me tim curry is that and then to watch this and you think like how is he not a bigger star? Because this performance is like his comedy timing, his singing, his sort of like just overall performance is phenomenal. Um, did he ever do this on stage? Uh, yeah, he did this on stage before it was turned into a film. Oh, uh, so uh, in London, uh, that was that was Tim Curry. Mm. Um but uh, yeah, he was kind of reluctant to revisit it. He didn't want to do a sequel. And then when they did that live broadcast, like in 2016, um, he played the criminologist, you know, since he was older. Yeah. Um, I think Tim Curry is funny because everybody who knows Tim Curry loves Tim Curry. Yeah. But we all like Tim Curry from different movies. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned Home Alone, too. I have a, a friend who, you know, is maybe 26. And she says, you know, I love Home Alone, too. You know, I Tim Curry will always be that for me, and for me, Tim Curry will always be Clue, yeah, and this, uh, both of which I know all of the lines to. You know, and I mean, I can hear the timing of every single line in Clue in my head, uh, and, and each line just the timing feels perfect, and I and I feel that way with Rocky as well. Yeah, it's it's um, Clue is something I may have to visit on on our sister podcast, Twenty Century Geek, because that's one of those mm-hmm. films that. It's again, it's an it's an almost like a lost 
uh, movie. Like, it doesn't get talked about anymore. I don't think you can get many copies of it, but you know, they did amazing things with that film. But these performances is great overall. But a couple of details. So Rocky Horror Picture released uh, in 1975, uh, directed by Jim Sharman, uh, written by Richard O'Brien uh, and Jim Sharman, uh, starring Tim Curry, as you say, Susan Sarandon, um, uh, Barry Bostwick, Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn. So I've just kept the top sort of main. There's, there's loads more. I mean, you know, um, I, I love the fact that uh, Meatloaf makes a real, like, insane cameo in this. And, you know, um, but the plot is um, a young couple, um, uh, Janet and, uh, Christ, what's his, what's his name already? What's his name? Brad Majors and Janet Weiss. That's it. Young couple uh, are attending a wedding at the beginning, and, and, and Brad decides to propose. Uh, and having declared his love for her, they decide they're going to go visit the teacher or the professor whose class they were in when they fell in love. Um, and they drive off. And in doing so, they go into getting it's a stormy night. The car breaks down, uh, and looking for a phone, they come across uh, a gothic looking house populated by Dr. Frankenfurter, uh, his minions, which we'll, get, we'll come on to what they are, and uh, his sort of creation, um, Rocky. Uh, and it is a liberating and bizarre experience from there. Um, so, yeah, just, just to go through the plot this from the start, this is the first time that two things jumped out at me. At the wedding, Tim Curry plays the priest, Mm-hmm. Um, and also Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn are his two sort of like helpers. Uh, but more than that, they are playing the American Gothic uh, from the, yes. from the painting. Uh, and they're in the background also in, the, in the mansion. Yes. And it's like, it's are, are they, is this some weird like alter ego thing? <laughs> like, Weirdly, that's the thing, because I've, I've read that's happened and I, I paid attention to it this time. But more than that, when it jumps to the criminologist who is played mm-hmm. by Charles Gray, um, um, I also know is Blofeld, so just that uh, it's a really bizarre sort of crossover. But he, the first thing he has over his shoulder is a picture of the wedding with a red circle mm-hmm. around Tim Curry with an arrow to it. So even the film's telling you that's something. And so I was a bit like, is that supposed to be a clue? Like, is it something? And it, and it just moves on, sort of leaves it. But, um, it's a yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I, you know, the, the, it really does sort of like mind twist from the very beginning. Um, the, you know, yeah, and I don't know, I don't know that there's an answer to that. I mean, you know, having kind of grown up with it, I mean, I you know, it, it is to me like a little Wizard of Oz, right? Like you know, the I've gone into this other world through the tornado and their analogs. Uh, it kind of evokes that, but. Obviously, we're supposed to think this mansion is real, right? So yes, yeah. I, I don't know. It, there is, there is, there is definitely like two worlds. Even in what we'll get to it, because there, there are definitely like two worlds. Because you find out the professor that they're going to visit. Um, not only has he been their science professor at college or whatever, he actually appears to be in some sort of like battle or like ongoing conflict with Frankenfurter and these invading aliens. Um, you know yeah it's just weird it seems like yeah no i know that's very weird so i mean you know just to to flush out that plot uh you know the meatloaf you know plays eddie you know who has been put on ice and you kind of find out slowly that frankenfurter 
was sort of had a relationship with Columbia, one of the the two female minions, Mm -hmm. and then sort of dropped her and got involved with Eddie, who's kind of a 1950s sort of like from Greece, a kind of rock and roller on a bike motorbike, you know, and, uh, you know, then got tired of him, put him in like sort of cryogenic freeze and built this Frankenstein monster uh, who doesn't look like Frankenstein monster. It looks like a Charles Atlas. And in fact, the reference is clear. Um, uh, you know, that's all in that song. Um, and then, you know, so he he kills Eddie. Eddie is revived. He kills Eddie. You know, Susan Sarandon, I mean, uh, Brad Majors and Janet Wise are sort of seduced. You know, they sort of like turn to the dark side and, you know, Brad has gay sex with Frankenfurter, you know, Susan Sarandon is, you know, screwing Rocky, you know, it's all gone pretty crazy. And and finally, well, Dr. Scott shows up and he says, you know, there's this whole thing where Frankenfurter says, oh, you know, don't tell me this is a coincidence. You know, you happen to to come here and, you know, you know, Dr. Scott, who works for the CIA investigating UFOs. And it's like, no, it's just a coincidence in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bizarre plot. I mean, that's the thing. You know, one of the things, again, like focusing on this, the more I learn about the plot, um, because there's little details. Like I say, Eddie has been, was clearly, I don't know if he was supposed to be dead or knocked out, because he has a big gash on the front of his Mm -hmm. forehead when he comes through the ice. Um, You find out out later, and I, I guess this was a little clearer in the stage production, but you find out later that, uh, Frankenfurter took half of his brain and used it for Rocky. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I, that, yeah, so, yeah. Sorry. No, no, it's good. It's, it's a little thing. But it's the thing <laughs> that throughout this, the one thing I found later on is I, 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 or I, th- I think of, of Frankenfurter, because I think Frankenfurter is a fascinating character. Because you say he is tyrannical, like, he's a narcissist. Like, there's no doubt, like, the guy is a narcissist because it's all about him. He makes it all about him throughout. And he's a total hypocrite because he's obviously out to you know enjoy himself because there's a great line he sort of says you know um you know a good a good time should not be this hard basically sort of suggesting sort of you know mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's all the stuff he's having to do but he sort of seduces uh, Brad and Janet and you've obviously got that you get that the history with Eddie and Columbia uh, and then obviously he's made Rocky but the and he, he's obviously all about this idea of just sort of just enjoy it just go with the flow do this thing because that's how he sort of seduces Brad um, I like the fact he dresses up as the, 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 the partner. So when he goes into Janet, he's obviously like got a, a Brad disguise on. And when he goes into Brad, <laughs> he's got a Janet disguise on. So it's done brilliantly. Um, but the moment she, that she, he identif- he notices that Rocky is, is sharing some sort of relationship with Janet, like he goes mad. Like it's a real mm-hmm. box of like, oh no, I can go out and enjoy as much things alone. But no, 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 you don't get to do that. Um, so yeah, there, there is sort of like you know he is a really interesting, you know um, I can see why the two uh, Michelle O'Brien and Patricia Quinn sort of characters why they eventually just get tired of him at the end. They're like, right, we're going home. Like we've had enough of this. Um, I don't know what are your thoughts on that as a as a character. It's not easy having a good time. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> one one of my favorite lines. Yeah, I mean, I I did think especially this time through, I mean, I have to confess, I, whenever I think about this movie, I mean, there, there are uh, songs that I like more than others. Mm. Um, I think the whole thing with Eddie, I mean, the whole thing with Rocky reviving, you know, Rocky being created goes on way too long. (laughs) That's sort of Damocles number. I'm not fond of. 
Uh, and then Eddie, I've never liked Eddie. I mean, I want to kill Eddie. <laughs> Eddie is stupid. He's a punk, you know, and, and I like the punk kind of motorcycle thing, but he's, and I know Richard Bryan wanted this, but he's such a kind of like love letter to the 1950s yeah. and to sort of 1950s counterculture. And that means nothing to me and, and never will. So, and I also like he's introduced and then murdered at the end of his introductory song. Yeah. And, you know, I like that they eat him, right? There's a, there's a great bit where, uh, you know, he served the sort of Thiesty's feast style to, uh, mm -hmm. to the crowd. But um, so, I mean, I, I think that, you know, for my money, uh, you know, the heart of the film is really uh, twofold. I mean, it, it's really Brad and Janet starting off, you know, the first shot is a cross, you know, they're getting married and it's all prim and proper. They're both virgins. They're, seduction and how easily they give way to you know this wonderfully seductive you know brad you know clearly enjoying uh you know having his neck kissed by frankenfurter mm. and you're like just as long as you won't tell right yeah. i mean the way in which they're so easily seduced the hypocrisy of that kind of puritanism um and then destroyed by the end mm. uh, you know and and then the second plot is sort of the whole Frankenfurter and this tyrannical sort of thing that he set up that you're talking about. And this time through, I, it really occurred to me, like, I mean, I think, I think this is a wonderfully fun movie, but it's also a really sad movie. Mm. And as a, as a depressive, like that speaks to me, you know, and as somebody who has embraced, you know, hedonism as a kind of for good and for ill as a kind of like uh, medication for depression and for how, horrible this world is um you know this speaks to me a lot and i think frankenfurter like this time through especially the time war is a protest song mm. it is it is them saying you know like we miss transsexual and the galaxy of transylvania right you've stranded us here you know like you're busy making rocky and you know having great sex with all of these people and you know we're dancing and celebrating but they're celebrating how they want to, they're singing about how they want to return home. And, you know, that, that kind of tyranny of he, he outright murders Eddie. And it's just like, well, it was a mercy killing, yeah. you know, and, and everybody just kind of like, they're scared shitless of this guy. Yeah, no. And that, I mean, the thing I like about that is the fact that there are these things, these elements that, like you, they just don't explain stuff. And I kind of like that in some films. So you're just sort of thrown into the craziness. Like you are Brad and Janet. Like that scene where they go in and, and sort of they're, you know, met by Richard O'Brien. And he plays like, you know, I mean, you, like you said, this film is a love letter to so many different things. Like, you know, the, the, he, he is Igor and all this other stuff. And, and even um, when they're uh, Patricia Quinn, later film, um, when they take, they've got their alien costume and like she's got the bride of Frankenstein hairdo and everything. So there's so many nods in this, it's amazing. But you are, you're sort of like you're these characters walking into this house and they're like, what the hell is this? And then to break into song, because the first thing is, I love they they break through the doors, they break through the doors into a sort of a chamber, and there's all these people in sort of like matching suits but with slightly different colored sort of um, you know, big glasses and they've got the colored waistbands and all this other stuff. And they're all there for a party and they all just turn around and all of a sudden they just break into a song. And it's great, but you can sort of, the, you are there with Brad and Janet going like, I don't, what the hell is going on? Um, and I love Brad's response as they're trying to leave. They're backing out and he's just like, well, they're clearly foreign. 
and they're here to celebrate something. So let's not insult them, basically, and their folk dancing, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> um, and I love that just sort of like, so he's so square, so enormous. I, I really don't want to offend him. This is clearly nuts, but I'm not going to offend him. We'll just leave. Um, and you're right, like you were just thrown into this and this song. And um, the the energy of Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn, when they do, like they are in Brand Janet's face, like with the whole thing, that song. And um, it's a hell of a sort of, because like, the songs up until that point have been sort of fun, but like campy, but that's the first one that's like a, a step up. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's a really important song in the film. You know, I hadn't realised it was a protest song. That's really interesting to see, but well, I mean, but it, that's my that's my theory, yeah. you know. But it feels like a step up in energy. Like you're all of a sudden, it's mm-hmm. that thing of like you said about uh, the Wizard of Oz. It's like, oh no, you are in Oz now. Like you know, these are the Munchkins. You're about to meet, you know, you're about, you're about to meet the Wicked Witch, and you are in a different world. Uh, the door is closed behind you. Yeah, and and so much of it is enhanced by the decor of that that mansion, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you've got like, you know, a stuffed bird that, you know, uh, Magenta is sort of like caressing as she's singing, you know, and nothing will ever be the same as she's caressing a stuffed bird. And, you know, Riff Raff goes to, you know, the clock is like in a coffin yeah. with a skeleton. And I mean, just the fact that everything is just, it looks like it's falling apart and it's this odd, uh, much like the movie, this kind of like odd collection of sort of pop culture knickknacks and you know there, there there are paintings in the background that are just you know like left there and you know don't seem to be maintained and nothing seems to make sense um yeah and i think that you're right that it, it really is a sort of yeah we're not in kansas anymore mm. that you have sort of that you know that first song is just kind of like establishing i'm gonna marry you you know we're prim and proper and then the second one the sort of light at the frankenstein place i think is a weaker one uh, but what I like about it is it's just kind of like about trying to find shelter and refuge. Mm. And so that kind of characterizes, um, you know, this falling into this other world, you know. And curiously, you know, they're driving in the car in the rain and they're listening to Nixon's resignation speech. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> to leave office is a dignity to every bone in my body. You know, and nothing they never comment on. Yeah. It's just like on the background. Yeah, it's it's just some yeah bizarre things. Because the other thing as well is to highlight we should note is as you said before, there is this criminologist. So there's a whole sort of like fourth wall breaking as well. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. I, I'll go I'll go one step further than fourth wall breaking. There's like a fifth and sixth wall breaking because not only is the is the criminologist sort of he's talking to us as an audience. And he appears out of nowhere because like, the film starts, and then all of a sudden he's like, and then you've got this, and he tells you about the the, the events. And he, you know, you see him opening files on Brad, then Janet, then Professor Scott, um, and he is trying to explain what's going on. And that's a fourth wall breaking because he's talking to the audience. That you know is great. It gets better though because then he starts to participate in the songs. Yes. <laughs> so more than that, like he's he's a he's a post event contributor like he's talking to you from what would be our present if it's meant to be a retrospect but he's also interplaying with the stuff that's going on in the film um and i, I just love that i think it's great i mean you know the way they play it because they say we talk about the time warp it's like he's literally one of the earliest lines because he pulls down a chart and he's like it's just a, uh, <laughs> a jump to the left and that's it um so yeah it's it's 
it's a it's a different energy from that point on. But I, I love the way that it's all set up in that sort of craziness. Um, that you wouldn't re- again. This is something you won't get in other things for years. Like nothing else will touch this until you get to um, things. You know, I, watch it this time made me think of like the current Doom Patrol TV show. But then when we go mm-hmm. back to things like Grant Morrison's run and that thing of people pushing those boundaries, and I'm thinking like, yeah, that's people. Are like, oh, it's groundbreaking in the nineties. And I was thinking, actually, someone did this in the seventies. <laughs> like this, this level of weirdness. Um, so yeah, no, it, yeah, it's really good fun on that front. Well, and that book that he has is called The Denton Affair. You know, mm-hmm. so it seems as if like, and he's got those files, right? But but this is a book. That I mean, he's written in. It's got maps that he's clearly marked up, right? So, what is this book? Is this like after the end of the movie, and he's narrating the events, presumably? But then he, like you said, I mean, it's almost as if the time warp is so infectious that it infects the narrator. Right? Exactly. But I, the, what if? Okay, th- this is a theory again, and it didn't. So it, I'm. Um, I've been dipping. I, I make love. Everything's about bloody Lovecraft. I have to be. But this to me mm-hmm. felt like the color out of space. In that fact, like the film is uh, is a is a a, uh, a retrospective narrative. It's someone they call it like you know the, the color out of space is this thing, and they have this. They call it some. I forgot what's called it in the story, but there's the, the the farm that is affected by the the alien uh, color and the family that's killed out, and obviously the people talk about it in this because the, the story is like 25 years after the event, and people talk about it, and it is called you know, the event of this thing of this local legend. And it felt very much in that sort of almost Lovecraftian vein, in that same thing of things being told in that sort of retrospect of like, you know, it drove them mad. You know, there's no other description, but they went crazy in this event. And I I, I don't know whether that's intentional or not, but it felt very much in that sort of vein. And the same as um, even like the Call of Cthulhu is a story within a story within a story. Like, you know, someone finds a book about someone who finds papers. And it felt like that. That almost, right. this is almost like a nod to this Lovecraftian thing of like, here's the straight laced person, the Lovecraftian protagonist who's going to be the professional to re- to relay the story, but we're going to pull him into this bizarre narrative. Um, I don't know. It, that could be miles off, but it just felt like that to me this time watching it. No, I mean that's there. Uh, I've never thought about it, but that's that's indisputably there. And you know, I mean, it is also you know uh, a sort of extra alien invasion mm. that feels kind of like an extra dimensional sort of thing and all about sort of twisting minds right i mean it's not clear that you know i like to think that they're just that easily seduced yeah. right um that that there's their brains aren't being you know artificially manipulated um you know and and in fact you were you were talking about sort of like how square brad is and you know he ends the time warp thing by saying say do any of you guys know how to madison (laughs) and it's so lame and what i noticed this time was you know janet winces uh and it's the first sign because at the beginning it's just they're happy she like giggles every time he talks Mm -hmm. and this is sort of like the first sign that like it's like yeah i love you but i know you're kind of (laughs) like yeah yeah that's a really good point as well because sort of um she even she she's the first to, to to give in, isn't she? Not to give in, sorry, but to that sounds bad, but to 
to to sort of be intrigued and to be seduced by this because when they finally do, we'll get. I mean, we'll get into Frankenfurter's introduction in a minute, but like when after they've met him and they get, they you know they've been they get they literally get stripped down to their undergarments, and then they go up to the the uh, laboratory after and after after they meet Rocky, or even before that, she's the first one to join in the clapping. She's like, oh, like with the dancers. Yeah, right. She's the first one, and Brad looks at her like, what, what are you doing? Um. Well, and then she said, uh, "I, you know, she said, I don't like men with too many muscles. Mm. And that pisses off uh, Frank. But it's really clear in the scene that she's standing next to Brad and she's kind of saying that for Brad's benefit. And then during that song about, you know, the Charles Atlas song, I Can Make You a Man, you know, she interjects and, and sings a line of the lyrics, you know, I'm a muscle man, yeah. you know, and it's just like... <laughs> And everybody just kind of looks at her like, oh, she's into this now. Yes. Yeah. Um, she, it's interesting that she sort of leads the way in that sort of liberation. Um, and and Brad's that little bit more buttoned up and a bit more uh, uh, repressed. Um, but what again, about their relationship, because, again, their relationship is clearly, I don't, I don't want to say, I'm looking for the right word, tarnish is the wrong word, but there's sort of like, does their relationship still exist at the end of the film? Because by the end of the film, I love that question. Because uh, by the end of the film, like you know, Rocky uh, and, and all the end, it's all gone, and they're left. But she's obviously experienced something new. So's he. Um, but he's sort of even in that final song, like you know, he says, you know, "Oh, mommy," like he's still trying to cling on to something. But he's he's been seduced. He's enjoyed this sort of experience, and so. Um. I do wonder at their relationship, like you know, is it sort of like you know, by the end of the film, are they still a couple, or is it that they both sort of gone? Actually, <laughs> we we now both want something different. I don't know. Yeah, I I think that's a that's an awesome question. It's one that I definitely have thoughts about. <laughs> um, you know, I I you know I I said sort of you know I'm I'm not as in love with the Rocky and um and uh, Eddie parts of this. Uh, it is amazing to me, like been talking about Barbarella, like how much I love the second half. Mm. And and I think that I am biased towards stories that end well. I can put up with, you know, a little crap at the beginning. Uh, and, and this starts a little slowly, you know? I mean, you know, it's a church song. It's like, oh, we're getting married. Fuck these characters, yeah. right? I mean, I, you know. Uh, but once you get to the... Uh, freezing of the characters with the Medusa Ray and you get to the floor show and you have a medley of three songs all together mm. from that freezing of them onward, everything is impeccable and, you know, just means the world to me. And in that floor show, Brad and Janet both, you know, there's that sort of, as they're released, uh, the four characters all give kind of their sing their sort of like state of the character mm. kind of songs and Brad, that's where Brad says, you know, it's beyond me, help me, mommy. And Janet says, you know, I feel released, you know. Um, they're not the same people no. anymore. Um, and and this is why, um, you know, also in the in the end credits, uh, as the um the usher, you're right, the 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 lips from the beginning in the stage version, it was an usherette, mm. um, that she sings the kind of like wrap-up song. Um, it says darkness has conquered Brad and Janet. Well, that seems pretty definitive. Mm. Um, 
and then you have the uh, bit that was cut out from most versions, uh, certainly the U.S. version, which is this short superhero song at the end where, you know, this is this is so meaningful to me. Uh, they're crawling around, uh, you know, still dressed in fishnets yeah. and, you know, <laughs> stuff from this floor show, but but covered with dirt, mm -hmm. you know, just like beaten up and they're crawling around in the smoke dazed and confused and they sing their kind of wrap up bit um and they're left crawling around in the rubble mm. unable to find each other in the smoke yeah i think oh my god you know like they're not coming back <laughs> okay you know yeah well it's a really good point because one of the things i find interesting is like, you know there's the bit where it's established like you know that that's um the beach sort of they're both Sort of had some sort of sexual relations with um, Frank and Furter. They've, they've had some sort of awakening, and then you know when, when Janet sort of basically doesn't give in, she sort of she makes the decision to sort of sleep with Rocky as well. Um, and towards for the rest of that film, like no point does Brad seem to get like pissed off about it. To be perfectly honest, you know Frank and Furter does. Frank and Furter's like you bitch, and he comes. In <laughs> And gets like really, but Brad sort of just sort of is almost like shoulder shrugging by this point. At no point does he step up to defend or even contest it. It's just sort of like I don't know whether these are sort of you know is it him being a beta male or whatever like in that sort of sense or like giving in, but or is it just him going yeah? Well, actually, I'm thinking there's other things at this point, and I'm not as bothered as I thought I would be. I don't know. Yeah. I I don't know. That's a really good question. And I find it part and parcel of sort of the odd depictions of character <clears throat> in the film. Um, you know, I, I did think about that. But remember when Brad is frozen just before the floor show, he, you know, is sticking up for Jan, you know, and and that's when he's frozen. So he still has kind of like this alpha male thing, but or those instincts, but he he never seems to be that upset over over Rocky. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, maybe it's because he's jealous of of Janet and not of Rocky. But um, <laughs> good point, yeah. Because he's but, but the other thing is, go ahead. Because because he said that about William Defender, he's defending like he's not so much defending that he's defending her honor. Like you know, it's Frank and is insulting her, and he's willing to step in, which is almost like a could just be a platonic thing. Like, well, I will step up for you because. You know he's being a, he's being a complete douche about it. Like it, at no point is it like because otherwise he'd be after Rocky, wouldn't it? I mean he wouldn't stand a chance. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Like that relationship seems to turn. You know, following that sort of their their in interactions with Frankenfurter. Well, and and I think that so many of the relationships in this film are complicated and are fascinating and are maybe not fleshed out in the way that you would expect. Mm. Uh, and I think that's one example. An another is, uh, you know, Columbia's reaction to Eddie. Mm. She clearly is madly in love with Eddie. She's got his, you know, images all over her walls, you know, like he's a rock star. Um, and yet, you know, she's still doing the bidding of the guy who put him on ice and took half his brain. And then when, you know, and then, uh, has murdered Eddie in front of her. I mean, she screams and then goes right back to being a loyal minion. And then, uh, you know, sees that they have all eaten Eddie. Yeah. And her reaction is to politely say, excuse me, and go into the other room and cry. Um, 
which you know cements like she that sounds to me like a reaction to a traumatized reaction to tyranny you know you're scared shitless of of pissing off uh the tyrant there but still you know it's like that is almost never mentioned again i mean she mentions it in her sort of floor show wrap-up um similarly like magenta and columbia kind of fool around as they watch uh, Frank seduce Janet and Brad. And they're sort of fooling around and it's, it's sort of like some light lesbian sort of play. But they're clearly like so happy watching this together, right? They're mm-hmm. ecstatic. And then uh, Magenta's fine with killing Columbia and Columbia being frozen and totally betraying Columbia. Um, and, and just real quick, like Riff Raff at the end says, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Columbia, I mean, Magenta is surprised that Riff Raff has killed them, which I don't know why. Uh, and, and Riff Raff says, you know, uh, you know, they never liked me, you know, and he clearly is upset that he was like the Igor henchman that wasn't respected. But I mean, there's a lot of kind of like what, you know, like characters who don't necessarily hold a grudge or react emotionally the way you'd think that they would. No, I agree. I mean, the thing is, you say about the, the tyranny, like, to me, Frankenfurter is a cult leader. Like, you know, they are, in, they are, they are enthralled to him, and there is no escape. Uh, and like you say, you know, it's almost that thing, isn't it, of, um, do, you know, if I, he does terrible things, so I, but I can either stay and enjoy the party which is clearly that, you know, <laughs> or I can, or I have to try and leave, in which case I put myself at risk. And so with Columbia, because even in the time warp, like the song, the, her segment of the time warp is clearly about her meeting Eddie. I was mm-hmm. looking down the street and, you know, so that she's, he's clearly on her mind. Um, and so like, yeah, she constantly get, backs down and backs down and backs down. Um, and it, it's almost like conditioning, isn't it? Like, yeah, these things are going to happen and I've had to deal with it and I know something crazy is going to happen, but I'm not here for this. I'm not here for that little piece. I'm here for the big thing. Like I'm here because this whole thing is amazing sort of thing. And they keep, we talked about it a little bit before the show, actually, we were talking about, you know, sort of a lot of politics, <laughs> but that idea of a line being drawn and then being crossed. And with Columbia, it's, it seems like that thing, isn't it? Like, look, in order for me to stay here, I just have to, I will tolerate this. And then something else happens. I go, well, all right, well, I'll, I'll push back a little bit more and I shall tolerate this. Um, and she just keeps the seems to do it. For Magenta, though, sort of like, you know, who we eventually find out is an alien. For her, for her and Riff Raff, like, I don't think, for, I just think they see them as playthings. Um, everybody else at that party, everybody else in the cult, to, you know, the way they act in, it's almost like they're playthings because throughout it, her, um, the Richard O'Brien, uh, Riff Raff and, and, and Magenta, that when they roll their eyes at each other and they sort of have these little knowing glances and all this other stuff, it's like you know they they know stuff that nobody else in this in this party knows in this in this house knows, and they obviously they're obviously planning whatever's going to happen, but it's almost like they've got no real respect for anything or anybody else in there because they feel that they're better, they're superior to these people. Um, and I, so that's how I sort of I sort took it, and it's so when you actually find out at the end that uh, Riff Raff, the Richard O'Brien character, has actually got some resentment over being treated as the ego character. Like I find that really funny because I'm sort of like, well, you clearly <laughs> have done something different. Like you you accepted that role to an extent. 
Um, but yeah, no, it's interesting how they do react. But I, I see them as being almost like not so much psychopathic because they are alien. It's almost they just look down on everybody that's around them to an extent of like almost not caring. Well, here's a question: Who is alien? Um, mm. I have always taken it as basically everyone in that house is from uh, transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. Um, but I'm not sure like why those guys are arriving on motorcycle. Are they, you know, are they like from this, this mansion and they also came from transsexual and then they're like just out joyriding, but they came back for this party. Or are these like human groupies, you know, who are not, telling anyone um i, I don't know I, I take it as that because i take this as a cult i take it for me the only ones that are alien is riffraff magenta and frankenfurter and obviously they've come to earth and um it's almost like they, they've built this cult around them of these sort of you know and they get Especially Frankenfurt, like you said to the end of the song, like the, the the darkness has conquered Brad and Janet. I think that that's the joy, the pleasure they got, and it's not about darkness is probably too strong a term. It's not about corrupting people or making them evil or anything. They just get this thing of like that's their culture and whatever, so they're going to keep spreading it through this human, this this sort of like subversive invasion of you know sexual liberation. Um, no, I always took it the way I just thought that they were the three, and everybody else was sort of like were like cult members that have been brought into this um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kind of little sort of like <laughs> they're like the Umpa Lumpers, you know what I mean? They've been brought in for that yeah. purpose. I love what you're saying about about the cult. Uh, you know, I'm thinking about like Wild Wild Country and documentaries yeah. about cults and stuff, and um, you know, and a lot of the times they start with good intentions, mm. right? But that kind of um, power differential is just so great that things kind of go off the rails as people try to serve that great leader and as, you know, things just kind of become distorted over time. And there is a way in which, like, Frankenfurter is this sort of uh, icon of liberation and of loving yourself uh, no matter who you are, dress how you want and rip stockings and you are fabulous, baby. And then, but like you say, that doesn't apply to others, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so Colombia has this, you know, that whole like, uh, you know, you just use people up and throw them away. And uh, Riff Raff, when he um, reveals he's going to, he's betrayed Frankenfurter and he's going to kill him. He says, you know, you've gone too far. Right. Like, like this project, this wonderful project, um, you know, has has gone too far. And, you know, one of the things that I that I like about this beyond the, the sort of um, fear of the tyrant and the kind of cult thing is, is there is a way in which in in Rocky, the project itself of um, indulging, you know, giving mm. yourself over to absolute pleasure is always intertwined with a kind of pain, you know, that it seems to lead to pain, but it also is a kind of cure for pain. And so it, it seems logical within that kind of uh, world that, um, that, you know, all of these characters like, you know, Columbia would become kind of warped and wounded 
over time by this experiment, however noble and weird it is. Yeah, no, and, that, and that's how I sort of feel about it. it it's that sort of like, um, it, it, it is a liberation, and it's clearly a liberation for both Brad and Janet. Like, it awakens something in them, like a realisation. Um, however, on the flip side of that, as you say, like, Frankenfurter creates Rocky um, for his own personal pleasure. There's no liberation there, because at some point you you find out later on, there's a great little scene, but... Um, in fact, there's two things I'll say there because when he's created, like you know, there's a real sort of uh, the sort of the sexual excitement that comes from Frankenfurter, sort of seeing this sort of like muscular body and stuff. And um, again, like, I'll just praise Tim Curry throughout this because he he has got this performance down to a to perfection. Like he took his emotions or you know his tone like shifts on a dime, and that's the other thing. Like he's temperamental, you know, he's not stable. Um, and so there's a moment when Rocky, like you say, he gets pulled up and he does the Damocles song and he's running around. And there's like the desperation of Frankenfurter, who's like literally ch- chasing him around the room <laughs> to catch up with him. And I love the way it's played. Like, it's played for comedy. Like he's, but he's pushing people out the way and he's frantically trying to catch up to him to try and convince him, like, no, no, you have to stay with me, darling. I'm the fabulous one. And, mm. and, and trying to, you know, get that across. Um, but then when you know, and then at the end of that whole segment, they go off to what their, their bridal suite, and then the doors close. When you finally return to Rocky, and it's Riff Raff who sort of goes in to look at him, and he, you get the Frankenstein moment, the Frankenstein's monster moment, like he, you know, he, he, he scares him with the candles, and he sort of growls mm-hmm. and stuff back, which is again a great nod to the original Frankenstein um, of. of um, uh, they, you know, the, the film of being taunted and sort of the, the Karloff one. Um, but you find out he's chained to the bed. Yes. So he isn't to be liberated. He is there to be used. He was created and he is there for somebody else. He's a toy, basically. Like he is, he is there to be used for somebody else, for Frankenfurter's pleasure. Um, so this idea of, of Frankenfurter being this sort of like sexual liberator, I, 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 you know, may, you know, there'll be, um, as other fans, when this goes out, I'll be interested in what people come back with. But to me, like he, 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 if you want to sort of take that from the film, like it is there, but that is not to me what Frankenfurter is. Frankenfurter is this narcissist who has built this around him just to, for his own pleasure. And I think that's where it's gone, where you sort of say, Riff Ruff saying it's taken it too far because it's like, yeah, everybody should be enjoying this party, not just you. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, so I do find that sort of like, you know, because Rocky, Rocky's a sympathetic character in this, you know, in this whole thing, um, and he he is played as Adam should be in the Frankenstein story. You know, that sort of like, you know, he, if you go back to the the Shelley story, like he isn't the torn up monster that sort of you know, the Carlof one. He is a perfectly looking human and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so he is. He's a sympathetic character. Like you know, he's brought into this world to be used and abused. And that's his purpose. And that's quite sad, really. Well, you say that like it's a bad thing. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I have trouble identifying with Rocky, yeah. um, you know, probably because he's, you know, the sort of jock muscular type, but but also because he's brain dead. Mm. You know, I mean, he he sort of seems to be a toy. And, you know. I mean, yeah, you're you're entirely right. I mean, those chains are, you know, I mean, you know, they're they're there, and they have to be uh, 
broken in order to even rig the deck and have Rocky escape, mm -hmm. you know, by being taunted by uh, Riff Raff and Magenta. But, um, you know, if we, I, you know, I, I have also felt like when Janet seduces Rocky, I mean, Janet, Rocky has run away, you know, he's, he's been chased like Frankenstein's monster and, you know, he's hidden in the laboratory and uh, Janet having a sort of existential crisis that she's cheated on Brad, uh, you know, just hours after getting engaged yeah. to him, um, you know, finds Rocky. And there's this wonderful scene of, you know, she tears her dress to sort of bandage his wounds. And then, you know, Rocky kind of looks at her and, and you see the romantic intent. And Susan Sarandon looks sort of off to the side towards the camera, like, nobody will know yeah. I want to do this. <laughs> uh, and, and it's such a delightful moment. But, but also, if you see Rocky as somebody who's just been created, who, I mean, obviously, Susan Sarandon is a comparative innocent, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to put the, the blame on Janet Weiss here. But, um, but you know, if, if Rocky is this sort of half-witted newborn mm -hmm. who doesn't understand any of this, she's taking advantage of him. Yeah. Uh, not as clearly as, you know, as um, Frankenfurter is, but, you know, she's implicated too. Yeah, yeah, and is it a further sort of sign of the of, of the darkness, as I put it in inverted commas? This sort of like you know, that that I don't use again. The, the word corruption seems too strong, but that sort of notion of sort of like you know that. Well, let's say nobody will know, and it's actually what I want to do. Um, it's true because he, he could be like seen as a child character, like you know he's, he's new and he's mm -hmm. innocent. And f funnily enough, we we talked about uh, in, when we when we discussed Barbarella in the last episode, we talked about the sort of. The, the um innocence and you know the naivety and the purity of Barbarella uh overcoming you know the 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 evil of the the Matt Moss and all this other stuff and how just and, and how sort of her sexual encounters didn't defile her in any way like her purity and innocence is maintained despite or not even regardless of those like it's not they're, they're like a non-entity this film sort of says something different of sort of, a, mm -hmm. of sort of, you know, well, that's that giving into that. I, I, I don't know. Is it, does it say that it, it's a corruption? I don't know. You know, and I could, maybe I'm coming up from the wrong end. Maybe I'm a real sort of uptight <laughs> white British guy. who's now coming in. <laughs> this whole film's about corruption. Maybe I should be joining sort of, sort of like the Mary Whitehouse group <laughs> um i don't think there's any risk of that no. God. but there's you know there could be an argument that this film is actually the story the, the message this film is given is actually like whilst it's, it's it can be good maybe there's that thing of like well you need control as well you know because mm -hmm. you you have the risk of becoming frankenfurter um yes it definitely is saying that i mean i think that it i love that sort of innocence in in barbarella mm -hmm. Uh, it has a kind of power in Barbarella. Frankenfurter, uh, you know, uh, he's the one I love. He's mm. the one I identify with. Mm. Uh, I I want to be, if there's one character I want to be, it's Frankenfurter, mm. right? Um, you know, I don't especially identify with Brad and Janet. I enjoy seeing them corrupted. Uh, I want them to be exposed as hypocrites. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, but you're right. And I think that there are things that are problematic uh, about this film. 
And that's certainly one of them. Some of Frankenfurter's behavior is like that. And I think that it seems to be both. Like this movie is clearly celebrating mm. that liberation, right? Frankenfurter is charismatic. You're supposed to love him. I mean, you know, and it is transgressive. I mean, even when he reveals himself and throws off that, that cloak, you know, he is fabulous. Yeah. And I, I, I defy any straight person to sit here and tell me that he's not amazing and fabulous, right? Um, and you feel that. And then he leaves with Rocky and the, and the wedding music plays, which you've just seen the kind of like straight Christian version of. And But you're right. Um, it, it is depicted as a corruption. He does abuse Rocky. He does abuse Columbia. He, he has abused Riff Raff. And I think there is this way in which the film sort of has it both ways and wants that liberation, but also sees that it can go too far, but also that that liberation is a response to pain. I mean, that really comes through in the floor show that, you know, uh, I've seen blue skies through the tears in my eyes, mm. you know, I mean, this has all been some way to medicate and cope with pain. Um, and I do think that this, reflects i mean we're talking like you know 1975 the the musical was a little before that i think it really reflects uh the era and the era's understanding of like lgbtqa issues so you know like there's this kind of like response to the counterculture of the 50s of kind uh, i mean of the 60s of kind of like well we kind of went too far and burned ourselves out right yeah. like you know 69 was going to be the year where the revolution happened and you know, we dropped acid and, you know, we had Woodstock and it all just became corporate Nixon stuff. Uh, you know, Nixon won. Um, and, you know, so there's kind of parallel to that. But also um, in all the interviews of people that I've, I've seen of people in the, the LGBTQ community at that time, there was a lot of self-hatred, mm. you know. And if you're going to clubs where the cops raid and, and, and beat people up regularly and you can't be out for fear that, you know, you're not only is your wife going to leave you, but you'll be fired instantly because nobody, you know, who's prominent wants to associate with a, with a publicly out homosexual. Uh, and, and they would print the names in the newspapers when they would raid this stuff. Um, and that kind of culture contributed to, you know, the sort of like bathhouse culture that, uh, now has kind of been eschewed by the home, by, you know, the LGBTQ community, partly as an attempt to like gain mainstream acceptance, which has been, God bless it. I mean, a, amazingly successful mm. attempt, but that kind of like bathhouse culture and, you know, like dirty anonymous sex kind of edge, right. Uh, has been lost. And maybe that was only a response to to pain and, and self-hatred of the time. Maybe that was something positive that that some people, you know, within the community have complained that that has been, you know, the edginess of what they were doing, uh, of their identity doesn't have a place anymore. Uh, these are complex issues. I'm not the expert on them, but I do think that kind of like, it's very, it's a very 70s depiction of, that kind of liberation tied to sexuality and especially uh, pansexuality or, or homosexuality. No, I completely see what you're saying, especially around the 70s. Um, and because obviously this came out in 75. And, and to me, I think, you know, when um, I born in 81, so, you know, come up during the 80s and stuff. And when I look back at those films, 
that I think of um, that, that sort of talk to the sort of um, you know through the queer community or the LGBTQ community as a kid, like it, or even as a young teen or something. When you watch them, it was never a positive depiction. I feel I think of films like uh, the Al Pacino film Cruising, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which gave it a very sort of uh, Dog Day Afternoon. So Al Pacino cleaned it a lot, but Dog Day Afternoon, um, you know, had that sort of mania and manic sort of thing about it in the 70s because it was all marred in the machoism that had sort of come out of that era and so even into the 80s like you know i think of films like where you know that that gay community and and was was ridiculed i mean think about the police academy films like it's a bloody they've got the blue oyster uh, the blue oyster bar which is a, a constant reoccurring joke throughout that entire series um or even sort of like you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two, which has got the whole leather scene and stuff in it. That was the gay scene, the leather scene, like, you know, the bears and stuff. That was how it was depicted, and, and sort of like to me as a kid growing up, that's what um, you know. That's your first sort of. To th- that's what you're conditioned to, probably when you come through the eighties and early nineties. But for this film to come out in seventy five, and like you say, for, for for that that opening, that introduction. In, in that machoistic sort of 70s era, when you've got Dirty Harry sort of like, you know, uh, on the other side of things, the sort of like the staunch Republican copper, and then you've got uh, t- t- Tim Curry coming out and literally sort of like, you know, is it throwing <laughs> off that cloak and like you say, just being going like, I am fabulous. And like, yeah. like I, I, when you see it, there's a joy in that reveal, just an absolute thrill in it because it's a, it is, and then for him to sort of just, uh, uh, you know, to sit atop his throne because that's what it is. It's a throne of that room. Is almost like a, it's a victory for him and for that sort of thing of like that alternative of just like basically it's a fuck you. Yeah. I, I don't care how many mustachioed seventies you know hairy men are going to sort of try and sort of you know say I match with that. I don't care because we are going to live this way, and that's fantastic. Like that is really brave. Um. And even- yeah, and and he's he's made a little realm for himself yeah. in which not only can he do what he wants, but he can be loved for it and accepted for it, and and you know the the Brad Majors of this world, you know the the repressed, you know I, I I'm a Christian and I'm going to save myself for marriage, yeah. you know yeah. it's got got to be you know God did no didn't do no Adam and Steve, you yeah. know uh, those types, you know the. Give them a few hours in, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, that was the reality of the bathhouses, right? It was, you know, there were so many people who were public officials who were crusading against homosexuality, who, you know, everybody knew within the gay community went to those places. It, that's still happening today. How many Republicans in America keep having these gay sex scandals where, you know, what, they're caught in a public bathroom or something? What's the, what's the, the most recent one? Less of a scandal because there's so much to be going on. But, um, <laughs> oh, what's the, they, call, they give them a name, haven't they? Like Madam something or the, um, is, is it the lead? Is, the, is it the leader yeah. the Senate or the leader of the House? I can't remember who it is now. Mitch McConnell. Is it, Madam McConnell. Is it Mitch McConnell? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and they call him the Crazy Mitch or something like that. I can't remember what it's called now. But they've got, they've got a nickname for him. Anyway, but you think about it, even in the 90s, this thing you say, the bathhouse culture, in Britain, obviously, there was the, it was referred to as like the public toilet scene. Like, George Michael was arrested. Mm-hmm. Right. For, for, you know, uh, you know, gay sex in the public toilet. It was a lewd act. Um, 
Well, and, and, and Thatcher said she wanted to eradicate the concept of homosexuality, <laughs> to remove it from the dictionary, yeah. remove it from the minds of people that that's even a possibility that human beings could do. I mean, and, and I think that kind of stuff, you know, I think there's some of that kind of bathhouse culture stuff that we look back on nostalgically and, you know, I mean, you know, we have watched these movies and, you know, I've known people who participated in that culture. Um but there's also a way in which, you know, psychologies were twisted by all of this hate and all of this, you know, like I can be arrested for this and we have to be anonymous or I'll lose everything. Um, you know, there's a way in which psychologies were twisted by that. And I just I think that plays out in sort of uh, Frankenfurters. I've made my kingdom here, but, you know, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to use Rocky, you know. Uh, what's wrong with that? You know, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I made him and I'm in charge here. Um, so I think, I think you're right, but I, but I do think, you know, but I, I think it goes beyond just a kind of um, self-hatred or kind of yeah. reflection of the seventies or, or kind of mixed view. I think at its best, um, it gets into that thing that, you know, that the whole floor show stuff with the, you know, cards for sorrow, cards for pain, blue skies, you know, through the tears in my eyes, um, you know, in which it's really clear that all of this is a kind of compensation for, um, for pain and sorrow and heartbreak. Mm. And, you know, uh, that's, and I do think that there is a way in which, um, you know, some people have a kind of vision of sexuality as just is something, you know, the Barbarella thing, right? It's just something positive that people do. It's a fun thing that humans do with other humans. Mm. It's just an activity. You know, it can bring people closer together. But you know, uh, yeah, you know, don't be so hung up, brother. You know, <laughs> and then there's another version that's sort of like, no, this is this is tied to deep stuff psychologically and this touches nerves and mm. you know we want uh desperately and we are jealous and we you know want to die and want to kill people over love and the lust uh this is something powerful within us and and it can be a kind of recompense for having been beat up mm. or for you know going through these bad experiences um you know it can be healing but it is bound up in these in these complex um, parts of our identity that are painful and that we whether we have shame because of society or shame because we just hate ourselves or or don't know who we are or had parents who hit us or whatever. Sexuality touches on these things that are do make us cry and, and are painful. And so I think at its best, it's it gets at that which i really like even though it's totally different than the version presented in barbarella mm. no i agree and that's it's, it's interesting that the change that the characters go through we'll get to the stage show that the, the whole sort of third act of the finale really which, which again i think is fantastic but, but there is an element of this of what you say that that, that far the superhero song uh the end so you get you get um um susan strandon and, and sort of singing it sort of like you know and that that sort of it's it's to me that this song it pulls out and it leaves them there in the rubble and then you get the sort of the voiceover a little bit and then and it it goes out and there is a part of me that does think like they've got to go home after this 
you know, like there's, there's a story. There's this is the event. This is a triggering event. Like, but there's more. If, if you were to look at this as sort of like, I know this is the fun musical thing, but if you were to follow this through, <laughs> to be like, what the hell happens next for Brad and Janet and Professor Scott? Like, they've got to go back to their world. You know, and especially I mean, Professor Scott could just go back to his thing. Like he can be like, yeah, I've, I've, in fact, I'm keeping the stockings on uh, and to hell with the rest of you. But Brad and Janet have got to go back. You know, they're college kids. They've come out of college. They're going to start work. They've just been, you know, they've just got engaged. Like, they've got to go back to their sort of very sort of staunch, probably very normal families. And sort of like there's a whole different thing there of like, how do they carry on? Um, and that comes to that thing of like, if, you know, the, the LGBT community, how do you come out to your family and friends? What are people going to say about it? How are they going to are they going to accept me or not? Do I will I you know maintain it, well this era jobs friendships status the the works? Um, it's it's interesting. I think like it's almost a shame that you don't get to see the the fallout of of this event really. Um, but but yeah, the other thing I was going to say is you say about sort of Frankenfurter, and one of the things about his thing, there's a there's a line in the well, it's almost like a lament really in one of the songs. It's don't dream it, be it. Mm. Um, yes, amen. And and I, I have to admit that is almost the, the sort of like the statement of intent to this film. It's like, you know, and he's in the he's in the pool. Again, I love the whole this whole finale thing is amazing. <laughs> I would love to see this on stage. It must be incredible. Oh. Um, but. Um, that thing. well this is the, the he falls into the pool and it's it's this wonder that the smoke yeah. is you know concealing the pool and the smoke drifts away from his impact and it's an, a wonderful overhead shot in which you see at the bottom of the pool is michelangelo's creation mm. of man you know uh and you know obviously like this whole thing you know forbidden fruit right he's literally sort of god having made you know the modern Prometheus, right? He's made his yeah. own man. He's also the tempter, right? He's also the snake. Yeah. He's sort of playing both roles here. Uh, he's created this kind of Garden of Eden, but it's a garden, it's a hellish Garden of Eden. Um, and then he, you know, he's even on the, his little uh, life uh, preserver is from the Titanic. Uh, Titanic. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That was one of the things I loved. I was like, let's say he's now the head of a sinking ship. And I was like, some of the thought yeah. is fantastic. Um, but I do love that. And to having that, that lament of like, you know, don't don't dream it, be it. Of just sort of like, do what you've got to do. And I, I think that's a great moment. But when the four of them are uh, reanimated, they've all been turned into statues, in, to, you know, in some way, using the Medusa d- device. When they are reanimated <laughs> and they give their, um, their sort of, like you say, their sort of status in song, hmm. there's a moment in like he's in the pool and the four of them there, and they all dive in. And for that moment, it's like a moment of sort of pure pleasure for them because the songs, the music's going on, but they're all sort of like swimming around each other. And as you say, like, you know, they're all sort of, um, it's almost like an orgy in the water of, you know, Brad is kissing Rocky and, and then the kiss, and, and then there's some kissing Frankfurter and da, 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 da. they're all in, entangled and entwined. And Columbia's there as well. And it's almost like, it's that, it's that, it's that sort of moment of, of, um, giving in to one's lust and pleasure and it's almost like that moment of pure joy like there's no hang-ups there's no um you know as you sort of said emotional entanglement it's just a moment of pleasure and joy and then it's sort of brought to a sort of a thundering halt uh with, with the, the you know when, when it's inter- interrupted and stuff um but that's that that when i talked about brad and, and janet and their relationship before like that tells me 
at that point, one of the reasons that Brad is sort of like not so bothered about all this is because I think he has detached himself from that thing of realizing there's more. And he's almost like, well, I can't be jealous of that because I've done the same thing, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> you know, and now I'm just giving into a thing. And it's, I almost sort of got to respect his pragmatism in that point of like, you know, he, he I mean, you know, he, he seems quite sort of um, very well balanced throughout it all. But to approach it in that way of like, I can't be jealous or angry with her because for sleeping with Rocky, because, well, yeah, I've done the same. <laughs> um, and so they are very sort of like, you know, it seems quite clean cut, but that moment is is really cool. Like, you know, they all it's that sort of that's the antithesis of the film. Um, and then obviously it gets brought down. Um, and there's a bit I want to get to in a minute. But what are your thoughts on that? That bit in the pool then, with all those the four of them dive to join in Frankenfurter. Well, I mean, my response to it is religious, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think you know you're right. I mean, be it they'll dream it. I mean should be the mantra of this film mm. it, it's not entirely as you point out you know it's it's complex it's not entirely clear to me if uh janet brad rocky and columbia aren't maybe like a little mind controlled or something in that pool scene you know through the whole floor show but the joy on their faces i mean you're right there's these you know sort of the tongue sticking out you know just kind of like licking each other and just sort of swimming over each other but also just like we've seen them go through so much and to see that kind of like unadulterated joy on brad's face mm. brad the uptight dickwad you know yeah. i mean the joy he has swimming in drag you know and face paint underwater and just letting go man uh I mean, to me, that is it's a transcendent scene. It's, you know, uh, in the the small number of things that are as close as I, I have to uh, religion, um, it, it means a lot to me. It's it's funny because it's counter. This is what I find this finale, because it is complicated and it's really beautifully done, is that it's countered. It's like, that's, that's almost Frankenfurter at his peak. That's him mm-hmm. achieving this thing of sort of like whether it be control or and people giving into the, the whether it be the cult of personality or mind control or whatever it is, but that's him at his peak. And then to have it crashing down and for Riff Raff and Magenta to come in and to, to bring it to a crashing conclusion. And for him then to provide that the song, as you say, about sort of like seeing blues, uh, blues go through the tears. But there's a, there's another bit when it's because it's the going home. It's sort of like it's him giving in, he's giving mm-hmm. himself up. Um, and again, to get back to that sort of narcissism and stuff, though, to see what, how he sees the world just for a second. <laughs> and he walks between the aisles because it's, it's a theatre. The last, the last, it's, it's, it's a literal stage show, that last bit. And he walks between the two sort of uh, the, the aisle between the two sets of chairs. And as he's doing so, it fills with people. And they're all looking to get his autograph, and they're all sort of like you know fawning over him and everything he's doing. And he's like, oh, this, oh, and it's all that kind of stuff. And and then he reaches the uh, magenta and um, and riffraff, and he looks back, and it's just the desolate, empty chairs, and then the confused-looking four people on stage about it. And there's a moment of like real like heartbreak for Frankenfurter when he realizes like this is gone. Everything I sort of worked up to, this isn't. This is what I'm left with: a de- an empty theatre. And to me, it almost represents. You've seen that crowd of dancers and supporters and all the people that are around him. And that empty theatre is literally that is a moment. Is 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 um, 
you know the, the way the film shows it like no it's, it's all gone all that you had before is gone all those falling people gone and it is that there's a real look of heartbreak on on tim cruise again which is why i think he's so good in this but it's it is it's heartbreaking for him to see that um but it's, it's beautifully done yeah, and I think that uh, I mean it's not entirely clear to me that that it is gone in the sense that there are still all those people at the party, right? I mean, he's still got followers who are willing to follow him. I mean, he could have, in theory, stalked that theater with you know scared supporters, with you know with the with the noisemakers. Um, but you're right. I mean, I think it is kind of heartbreaking. But even before that, when you see you know, the, there's the, the flow show starts with uh, the four characters on stage and you go through their sort of statement of their status quo. And then you get that, you know, the RKO swelling music and you cut to, you know, the, 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 I mean, the wonderful love of, of uh, B sci-fi movies. Um, and, you know, you zoom in on uh, Frankenfurter and he makes his appearance. I find myself thinking, yeah, you know you're doing this for an empty room, Bubba. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like think about, I mean, even the people on stage, they're performing. They're facing the audience, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're, you know, made to come alive again, but they're still clearly facing an audience and they're using their boas and, you know, there is a sense of performance. Who is he revealing himself to? This is that kind of narcissism. I mean, mm-hmm. and... I don't know. I mean, I identify with that, frankly. <laughs> you know, I'm sympathetic with that. I I never, you know, saw an empty auditorium that I didn't think I should <laughs> be talking to and should be filled with people, you know. Uh, so I, I identify with that. But yeah, it is sad that it is this kind of like moment where he's done this spectacular sort of floor show and for whom? Mm. Well, what was the point of this? Um, really, the only people watching him are two people you know, who have decided to betray him. Yeah, that's true, actually. I mean, it's, it's, you can tell it's for his own purposes. Like, this is his own... This is him just entertaining himself. But it, it is a great entrance as well. Um, I don't know. I think I think that's the only way to take it. Like, is he, in his head, like, you know, maybe he doesn't see... He knows there's an empty auditorium, but it's still... As you say, it's still a stage. You know, maybe to, like, to him, like the whole world is a stage. Like he's never off. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, cause even when he's actually, actually doing actual science in this, all the science fiction, the mad scientist stuff, like he's still on, like, you know, it's still wearing, it's still like a hundred percent fabulous. Like even in these sort of like scrubs and stuff. Um, so it's, it's just almost like a notch up from that really. Um, I don't know. It, it's, I, th- I think it's just for him to sort of, to have those four people in a show again, it's that thing about adulation and, and the control of it. Um, that's the only way I can sort of see it. Um, but it, I think you're right, and I think the the riffraff and, and magenta seem to represent there like how he has, I mean, maybe not just gone too far, but neglected the people, mm. right? I mean, he has not been interested in building real relationships, he's been performing, right. Mm. Like you say, he's always on. He's never once gone to, you know, Columbia and said, you know, look, uh, I know I'm moving on with Eddie, but I still love you, baby. You know, or sorry, I killed your one lover, you know, but I mean, there's no, he's never gone to Riff Raff and said, hey, 
hey buddy thanks you know you want to jump in here you know it's yeah there's no appreciation it's just an ex he just expects everybody to keep going with the ongoing party um and you do hear that i mean you know you hear about that sort of there are stories from uh, people that, that are like that. I mean, you know, from the sort of the New York party scene in the late 80s and into the 90s, there were people that sort of like, that did create these um, followings around them and that were just on all the time. And, and when you hear stories about it, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I can't remember the guy's name, but there was a guy who ended up killing somebody else and then had like the body yeah. in, his, in his house for however long. So, the movie Party Monster is about that's it. That's what, yeah, Macaulay Culkin and stuff. And that, um, but again, when you read, when I read about that, it was like, well, he just expected people to help him. Like, there was no like, people that barely knew him. He was like, well, you've been to my parties, you know me, just you're going to help, sort of thing. Um, and it's like the same thing. Like you know, I don't, I'm not your friend. I I know you, and you exist in my world, so I fully expect you to to do these things for me. And I think he's he's very much that's what Frankenfurt is like, and it's. Um, but how much is that has been fed to him as well? Because it's it's been it's been allowed to happen. Like Riff Raff and Magenta could have easily stopped this at any point by the by the look of it. Um, unless I mean again, you don't know the hierarchy of this. Mm-hmm. You know, did they come? Did they was he their come? Was he their Captain Kirk? You know, is this a sort of like a? You know, was he the leader of this? And they were had like a hierarchy, and they were just following orders. Or is it? I, I don't know. I don't. You know. It's, it, I, yeah, I mean, there are, well, first of all, there's a sequel. Uh, there's a sequel to this that was made as a movie. Uh, it, it, it's not great. Mm. Uh, it was called Shock Treatment, and cool. Richard O'Brien made it. Yes. Uh, it, yeah. It's a musical. Yeah, a direct sequel to this. Well, it's kind of, it stars Brad and Janet, just recast. Uh, cool. And they're in Denton, and Denton is, you know, sort of taken over by, you know, TV people and, you know, there's this, you know, mental institution. Mm. Um, and, but that's Denton and that's Brad and Janet post Rocky. Uh, and, and in that one, they're married, you know, <laughs> and it's just like they've, they've, you know, they're like, okay, we got over that, which I don't like. I mean, I don't think that's the right thing. Um, and then Richard O'Brien has worked on um, different sequel proposals um, and there's a script for one of them online. And uh, apparently, I mean, obviously this hasn't been made, so it's not canon. Apparently, you know, in that it's called like Revenge of the Old Queen. And uh, Frankenfurter was the biological son or, or the, you know, now we'd say, uh, you know, identified male at birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, child of, you know, this old dying queen of transsexual. And so Riff Raff and Magenta are sort of, were sort of like his lieutenants. And he was sort of like, uh, yeah, you know, the Captain Kirk, uh, but Captain Kirk, who was like the prince right. of uh, transsexual. So, and in that one, Brad has, Brad was, uh, I think he was in the, a Las Vegas show and he died in a trapeze accident, you know, which seems more like what Brad would end up doing after this movie. Yeah. Um, I never knew shock treatment was because arrow video have got that on, on Blu-ray. So I'm, I'm going to have to get hold of that and, and see it. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Cause I always think like I say, if they don't end up together, like those are going to go off and do something different. And I can imagine, I mean, I imagine sort of like Brad becoming part of like a, like you say, a seventies drag act. Um, you know, yeah, and doing something fabulous on stage there, um, yeah, it, 
Um, that's interesting to sort of say about the, the hangovers, especially for those characters. But like you say, there's, there's a whole sort of thing here about... Um, because it's a culture. It's clearly like, you know, transsexual in the galaxy of trans and uh, Transylvania. Like, what is that? They've clearly established interstellar travel. You know, they've 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 yeah. all this advanced technology. What is that world? Like, I want to see that. That sounds incredible. Well, apparently, you know, there was an abandoned sequel, yeah. and you know, made like uh, around nineteen, or at least a draft was completed of the script around nineteen ninety that would have shown you that. Um, yeah, I mean, it is unfathomable. I mean, I want to see that too, although I don't know, you know, if it's not good, then, uh, you know, it could kind of ruin it. But you could see it done as a kind of like, you know, Buck Rogers kind of uh, mm. fun sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I, you know, while we're on that subject, I love, you know, it's weird. Like they could have just gone back at any time. Uh, I do want to say, I want to see a version of Star Trek with uh, Frankenfurter as the captain, you know, like a few screens on my darling. <laughs> uh, you know, like your problem, Klingons, is you need more feather boa. Yes. Um, but uh, I, I do love those songs where they're, they're singing about, you know, like uh, Riff Raff and Magenta are, they do the elbow sex, mm. you know, thing, which is obviously like this really intimate, strange, wonderful thing. I don't know if it's a thing that everybody does on Transsexual or it's just like, this just wonderful idiosyncratic bodily connection that they have. But when they, you know, when she says, and we will go back to sweet transsexual, you know, they, there's this love of home that even comes through in, uh, you know, the I'm going home song mm. that, you know, transsexuals made out to be like this really wonderful place that somehow they didn't want to go back to. Yeah. Or at least Tim Curry did it. No, and again, like, is that because he found this little empire that you said he's, he created this little kingdom? So going back would be going back to a level of normality and stuff. Where, like you know, he's like, no, no, here I can do whatever the hell I want. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it, it sort of it ends on a bit of a downer note. I mean, you know, not, spoilers or something, but um, the uh, obviously they kill Frankenfurter. But one of the things I found interesting is um, Rocky. Is like they, I mean, they get shot. Frankenfurter gets shot with a laser gun, um, and so does Columbia. Like you know, he kills Columbia, and then he kills Frankenfurter, and then uh, Rocky retrieves the body and starts climbing the RKO um, sign. Um, clearly, you know, so obviously an homage to sort of Frankenstein and the windmill, or even King Kong and uh, the Empire State Building. But when he's getting shot, like he, the the lasers bounce off him, and yeah. I was just like, I'm like. Is this supposed to? Is this going to lead to something? Is it supposed to mean something? Like, no, no. It's just, it's just a moment in it. It's just sort of like you know. I mean, the effects aren't great because it's obviously low budget. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's an interesting because for everything that's happened, like Rocky retrieves the body, and I'm not entirely sure where he thinks he's going. Mm. But, um, it's a bit of a downbeat ending across the board, really. I love that bit where he goes to the body, body, mm. you know. Uh... He's been, you know, you pointed out, he's been abused by Frankenfurter, right? I mean, he's been used sexually. Mm -hmm. He didn't seem to mind, but then he was left tied to the bed. You know, like, you know, hey, we had some fun, but now I'm going to make sure you don't go anywhere. Yeah. Because um, that would be inconvenient for me. Um, you know, so, but, he, you know, they've been on the outs. He seemed to uh, embrace Janet, which obviously, you know, infuriated uh, Frankenfurter. But then uh, he goes to that body. 
And boy, I mean, Tim Curry looked dead. Mm. You know, he's been zapped with the laser. He looks dead, and it's it's so beautiful the way you know, like Rocky. This this person did um, to be used. You know, who Rocky in the end is the one that that goes to him and embraces that body. And yeah, I, 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 he kind of that just has this like animal instinct to like body high see you know get it up there in that tree or whatever but uh it, it's very touching to me the mm. the way he you'd think that you know like columbia would do that or or you know i mean somebody else would do that but rocky who's just been created is the one in the end who is there for for frank and wants to mm. i don't know take care of him yeah to sort of retrieve him and protect him in some way yeah it's, it is interesting um, but it goes back to that Franken. It's another nod to the Frankenstein thing, isn't it? Sort of like you know uh, about the sort of the creator and the creation, sort of the bond there, I suppose. Um, and it sort of touches on that. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's, it's a good ending. I mean, they like say it's a down, it's a downbeat. The only people that seem to win is, is Riff Raff and Magenta because they get to go home. Um, although I'm, I'm, if those people that are there at the party are still there. Like you know, and they're probably all passed out from excessive drug use and you know, orgy. Like they're going to have a hell of a hangover when they wake up on a different planet, sort of. Like, uh, yeah, presuming they're human, right? I yeah. mean, I don't know. I I'd like to see that movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, that's at the end. It, it is sort of they get left behind, or they escape, uh, and to be left sort of like you know, and and that sort of the um, you are left with the Denton event. Um, mm. Which means they reported it more than anything. Which is like, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, and then there's those police reports in that book, yeah. and I'm thinking, who who are these police reports by? Like, yeah. do we think that uh, you know, like, there's one for uh, Brad and one for Janet and one for Doctor Scott? Does that mean that the three of them have each reported it? I mean, I guess Doctor Scott works for the CIA. I mean, he's going to recover and. Unless they kick him out for uh, liking stockings now, he's going to have some insight into, you know, I saw these these aliens from Transsexual we've been chasing. Um, I don't know. What's going to happen? there. Yeah, it's been, it didn't feel the kind of thing. Because the thing is, if, if you really were to sort of boil it down, there's nothing here that the police would be interested in. There are people dead, no doubt. But prove it, because there's also no house. Right. <laughs> there's no bodies yeah, right there's no bodies there's no house it's all gone it's just an empty lot <laughs> if anything if i was the three of them i'd be a bit like right this never happened or at least if it happened like this has changed us all let's just go ahead of our lives and we never refer to this again because people are going to think like although although i can experience it and i can go on and change in some way like people are going to think we're mad if we explain that some interdimensional interstellar beings came across gave us a sexual awakening and then disappeared in a flying mansion. <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, you know, if Brad and Janet don't wind up together, <laughs> how are they ever going to start another relationship? Yeah. You know, how are they going to explain like, well, you know, when I was just out of college, yeah. uh, I, I met this uh, sweet transvestite from Transylvania <laughs> and, you know, I'm into some things now and we're going to have some fun together. I, I don't know. Uh, it is very hard. I mean, I guess like Dr. Scott has the respect 
within the government to maybe be able to be believed mm. uh, if he reports this stuff, hypothetically. But I, I do love the downer ending. I mean, I mm. love, I mean, it's like, you know, we did, um, you know, we did uh, Quatermass in the pit, you know, and, and I, and I love that ending. Like, it's such a, just, again, it's that same kind of like, we're in the rubble, right? You know, like this has been terrible and we're in the rubble. I love those. I love those downer endings. And I mean, it feels so right for Rocky though. Um <laughs> And it also part and parcel of the time of like sexual, the sexual awakening, it takes something out of you. Mm. And, 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 and also those, those nerves have all been opened in these characters. It's yeah. not just that they've learned to embrace sex and, you know, so what, you're not a virgin anymore, Janet, who were you saving it for? Uh, but like, you know, Brad, that repression that Brad felt, right. That he probably still feels but it doesn't feel by the pool scene that came from somewhere. Mm. There's some hurt in him. There's some, you know, the internalization of some terrible social shit that he's got inside him that he knows is there now. Mm. So yeah, it's going to be a sad ending. You know? <laughs> yeah. It seems, I suppose for me, cause again, I don't, I do quite enjoy sort of downer endings and stuff like that. With Quater Mass, I, I, I do like that. I think it's because it's a musical and I associate musicals being probably more with those sort of, um, Hammer and Burns, you know, the Hammer, what's it, is it, you know, sort of the Sound of Music or Oklahoma or anything like that. Rogers and Hammerstein. Rogers, Rogers and Hammerstein, Greece, you know, all have a sort of like a happy ending. And um, although I'll, I'll there's a couple of points, but if you go to Greece, like, you know, there's, there's another sort of a, a musical about someone, has the exact opposite sort of message of, you know, instead of embrace who you are, that's sort of like change who you are to satisfy your partner. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, very different message. But that's why, so to have a downer ending for a musical, I find unusual. Two points I wanted to raise, actually, just, just quickly. One of them, because this film's about, I know it's set at a certain period and it has its very own sort of political agenda. But one of the things of that I find I found unusual, and again, this is seen through the lens of 2020 and everything that's going on. <laughs> Rocky being depicted as the perfect human, as a blonde, white, muscled, being is somewhat of troublesome these days. Um, he's incredibly Aryan. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, he's it's it, I don't know, it just sort of like it, it's fine in that like there are people that are very attractive that are, you know, I mean, uh, you know, he, he clearly is he's he's very well muscled, he's blonde, it's like, it's fine, he exists. But it's the fact that they go on about it being that sort of like the perfection of the human form is a little bit to, in this day and age, I mean, granted, the film's like what forty-five years old, sort of thing. Like, mm -hmm. but still, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, I haven't thought about that all that deeply, but you're obviously correct. I mean, I, it seems as if that feels to me like a kind of internalization of social values, right? And 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 I think you know that gets into sort of how we internalize. Uh, values about accepted sexuality, but uh, it also gets into, I mean, I think this is true for both men and women that if, you know, we've had a lot of conversations in the last few years about sort of body typing and uh, how damaging that is uh, to women, especially. Um, it's also damaging to people, uh, whether it's body typing of male or, or, or female, 
um, it's it's also damaging to us in terms of what we imagine our ideal lovers to be. So how many guys have, you know, had loving partners that they had a beautiful relationship with, but they thought, oh, you know, she's not a 10, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and, you know, I think that internalization of, you know, wh what's so weird is I sometimes get tripped up by this, right? Because like throughout human history, we've always had especially an idealized female body type, right? Um, probably a male too, but the the female one was was more enforced. It used to be a uh, fat body type that that indicated wealth, mm. uh, that indicated you know you had fat for the winter and you she was a rich, wonderful woman and that was prized. Once we had a, a capitalist surplus, that starts to shift. I, I think due to um, due to um, you know physical reality, um, you know as, as well as that produced cultural change. But you know, what, I find it fascinating that these things are things that are outside of us, but we can't fully escape them, no. right? I mean, whether we're male or female, you can say you know, uh, fat is beautiful. You can, you can be into, you know, uh, goth chicks and emo chicks and tattoos and, you know, uh, mohawks and all kinds of things. But this sort of, uh, these body types and these images, whether they're on billboards of women or they're, you know, the Rocky thing, uh, persist in our minds and have a kind of weight, uh, exert a kind of psychological weight that, uh, we can't entirely free ourselves of. So, and then I think are damaging. Mm. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's all I can think of is like, I mean, you're right. I think there's a lot of stuff that's problematic about this film. Transvestite is not a word that is used anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's no recognition of, you know, and I know Richard O'Brien has, has come out as trans and um, you know, that's awesome. And those terms didn't even exist back then. And I think you're entirely right that that's one of the things that doesn't age. All I can think of is, for me, it's it, it's bound up in that kind of uh, sexual psychology of you know pain, it, wanting this liberation but having these these nerves and this pain. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I mean, there's there's many ways to take it. It just struck me as being, as I say, from a different period, a different age, and and also like you say. The, the, there are representations. He's supposed to be a representation of Charles Atlas, who was obviously of that of that body type and that sort of you know the the, the look. It just it's just because he's so blonde. It, it does hold a bit of a sort of like a ooh from twenty twenty. <laughs> but again, you could just simply say actually that's just Frankenfurter's preference at this point, you know. Because let's be honest, like in in Rocky you have that, but then um, you meet Meatloaf playing. Eddie and in Eddie, like he's already he found pleasure and enjoyment and that, and he's a podgy dude. I I love Meatloaf. I got you know he was sort of my introduction <laughs> to sort of rock music and metal and stuff in this, at a certain point, and like you know, um, and then obviously like Columbia's got a different body type to Susan Sarandon. So for Professor Frankenfurter, like it doesn't matter. It's just whatever takes his fancy at any one point. But it's just interesting that they do sort of they have that depiction of him being the the muscle man. Um, you say about the body types, it's interesting that um, I like to think I have the perfect body of a Victorian industrialist uh, in that, you know, I'm, I'm relatively pasty and, and round because that was it. It was that depiction of wealth, you know, sort of like if you mm -hmm. you have servants, you are not muscly or anything because people do things for you. 
Um, and that was obviously the, the change. And I suppose, it, 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 like you said, it changed actually as far as my post World War One. Uh, was when mm -hmm. you, know, you get the sort of social shifts and stuff, and that body type in the twenties and thirties starts to shift towards that uh, the, the leaner, sort of more athletic. Um, and actually, that's that sort of goes then into it, it's both American. Ironically, it's both American and um, is a big part of Nazi Germany. That sort of like you know health and, and sort of doing all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then it progressed into the fifties post World War Two with things like Charles Atlas and all that other stuff. So yeah, the body type is interesting. I actually read an article obviously recently about how superheroes um, have been a real problem on that front, both for male and female. Like we obviously depict about the sexualization of, of females through sort of characters from Wonder Woman in a short skirt and through to you know um, costumes that sort of seem to emphasize boobs in a really unrealistic way, especially throughout the nineties. But then you sort of this article sort of kicked back and said, "Well, does anybody wear clothes for males that wear clothes that their yeah. abs are that defined?" <laughs> um, so I suppose body body image is, is an interesting one over the age. Well, I'm sure we'll get to it on some other film at some point as well. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting subject. Um, you know, and you know, I, I like what you're saying historically about you know, especially like the the, the flapper, right? The mm. flapper was so iconic. Uh, and then, you know, that goes forward into like Twiggy, you know, who, you know, would be banned today, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, um, but at the same time, like, you know, you had it, it, that was pretty much contemporary with Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe couldn't get a job today. I mean, she'd be seen as a plus size, you Ooh. know. Um, so, yeah, these things have changed um, you, with uh, with Frankenfurter like that shift. I, I think you make a great point. Some people have said that. Uh, like, you know, when I was in high school, we would have said Frankenfurter was bisexual. Mm. Um, you know, he, he goes for, for both. Um, obviously, now we have a broader understanding of gender. You know, we don't force people into identifying as, as you know, male or female. And so Frank is now kind of seen as pansexual that, you know, he goes and you know, if, if you've known people who are pansexual, who are pansexual, it, it, this is kind of true. Like he goes for, like, he can see what's beautiful about Columbia, right? Mm. He can see what's beautiful about Eddie. He wanted to shift to the Charles Atlas type, uh, but he can get into Brad, you know, he sees there's something beautiful about Brad. He sees there's something beautiful about uh, uh, Janet. And that's also kind of, you know, kind of sexy about him that's also kind of uh beautiful about and liberated oh he's totally accepting you know he's totally accepting the only time he gets angry about him is when he feels his his uh authority is being usurped but when you know susan started uh, janet sleeps with rocky other than that he seems complete because if you look at the other thing as well as say is if you look at all of his dancers and cult members like they are all of different body shapes and sizes. Mm. There's a small person. There's, uh, you know, plus size people. There are sort of like skinny people. There are tall people. Like it's a complete mishmash. Like they, they do not look like a bunch of Madonna's backup dancers. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> do, do they're not like they are different people. And that or Robert Palmer. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's cool as well. Um, you know, and there's a there's a dancer in this. And I, I, I need to find the guy's name. There's a dancer in this, and he I recognise him from British sitcoms. Um, 
He's in a, there's a, he's, I know him mostly from a sitcom called Porridge, which is about prison life from the 70s. And he plays a character called Lukewarm, who's a, a gay character in that and stuff. But like, seeing him, I'm like, oh, he's cool. I know him. Like, <laughs> but that, that was really cool. The, the, the dancers were all of different body shapes and different sizes. So you're right. It just sort of that one character of Rocky was interesting. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, actually, that's one instance of what Frank and Furter wanted. And there were so many others. So. Mm. It probably is a very, it's, it's you know, not as problematic as I actually think it could, as uh, I originally thought it was. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you're right, especially about body type, that, um, you know, like everybody is complimenting everybody else's attractiveness, mm-hmm. right? Nobody says, you know, Eddie is a, a, a fat dude, you know? <laughs> Nobody says that. It's just like everybody gets why you go for Eddie, you know? Um you know when they're they're stripping Brad. Brad is not you know the the muscular type. He's not overweight, especially, but he's not you know uh, Charles Atlas. And you know they say slowly, slowly. It's too nice a job to rush. Yeah. You know they're they're constantly making these I find you attractive comments to each other, including about people who don't fit. The one thing is the one thing that I would say when you were talking about the that crowd is. I think they're all white. Yes. No, no, there isn't. There is a black guy in there. Um, and I recognized him again. There was a reason why he, st- I mean, they might, they might be stood up. He might have stood up because he was the only sort of black character in there, but no, he stood out for a reason. And I think it was, um, uh, his, his, basically his facial hair and his hairstyle was like, you look cool now. Like if you were to go out in the street now in 2020, like you'd look ace. Like that was, what I, was I was thinking like, because <laughs> some of the characters in this, like you say, l- look timeless. Um, mm. Like some of the costumes and stuff, like you know, you could do this as an, an act now, and it would look cool. And I think he's one of the characters. Like you just look cool in that suit. Um, but no, there is a, there is a there is a black individual in there. But there's like a, there's a there's a short person, and there's um, there's someone who for some reason looks like uh, what's the, what, what was the pop what's the pop artist called? Um, Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. There's one who looks like Andy Warhol. Yeah. I'm like, there's, there's <laughs> like, like, you know, different, uh, you know, like a, a buffet of different types of people, which is cool. Well, this was kind of like a Andy Warhol's factory, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, the reports of how crazy it was and a total cult of personality. Yes, I can imagine. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things, the, the other thing I sort of as a fun, I'll ask you, I'll ask you your final thoughts in a moment. But one of the things that sort of struck me on this was you talked about pleasure and you mentioned about pain as well. I mean, you talked about more like psychological pain, but, um, and I obviously bring this back to sort of weirdly bring this back to horror again, because it is the Rocky Horror picture. But when I sort of see Frankenfurter and obviously there's that whole thing of sort of like the drag and he's, he's got the heels and the corset and it's, it's um, this the, the next stage of this because it's all about shock isn't it it's about that shock about the sort of like what takes you to that next stage i re- weirdly i went to the cenobites of hellraiser <laughs> and a comment that 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 uh, clive barker made uh, i read uh, um, when is that 2012 around the early around that period and then an interview with him about sort of like the cenobites and sort of saying that you know do you think they would still play today and he was like, well, the thing was, and he, because he referenced it, Frank, he references Rocky Horror. He says, well, in the 70s, Rocky Horror was shocking. You know, in 75, when it came out, people were like, oh my God, sort of like, you know, this sort of thing. 
and then he says, you know, throughout the 80s, it got, you know, there was the excess of the, the early 80s and stuff and sort of um, the explosion of sort of, of you know, potentially sort of the, the part of the gay scene and, the, the you know, all these other things. So when it came to him creating the Cenobites, he was like, no, I had to really sort of like shock people with like the body thing of like pain and pleasure and that sort of thing. And he was like, but at mm-hmm. this time, so I'll say by 2012, 2013, I think it was, he was like, even that's not shocking now because the thing of like people you know, hanging themselves up with extreme body piercings and extreme body modification. And it, it all goes into this thing of sort of pleasure and pain and expressing yourself. That's the norm, that they are not like niche subcultures anymore. Like, it's like people are covered in tattoos, people are covered in piercings, and it goes to the next level. And it's sort of like, it's an evolution of expression, isn't it? So, yeah, I wear high heels and stockings. I look fabulous up to, you know, tattoos, piercings, um, punk rock hairstyles and so on and so forth. So it just it did make me think about the evolution of of, of self expression in more and more extreme ways. And you know, um, I'm really squeamish, so that I've, I've, I have got tattoos, but the thought of piercings kind of scares me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it it just made me think about that 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 sort of thing of the self expression in 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 different ways through some sort of external way for people to recognize it. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel strange about that because I, I feel like, I mean, first of all, I don't I don't have tattoos or, or piercings. Uh, I'm kind of like, you know, Brad's like, certainly not. <laughs> He's asked, do, do you have any tattoos? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm sort of like, there are tattoos I think look good, but mostly I think like, you know, I, I don't want to commit to that. <laughs> that scares me. Um, and uh, I've resisted the piercings and stuff. So, I mean, in some ways I'm, I'm sort of, straight laced but in others i you know uh am not um but i do think that you know for me i mean you were talking about the cenobites and sort of how society has progressed um i mean i do think that we're not in my experience we're not as far along as what you're describing mm. um i i had a friend who visited me um from out of state uh, probably five years ago and we we're in a parking lot and he spontaneously kissed me in the parking lot people drove by and honked their horns and screamed and screamed uh gay slurs at us <laughs> on the spot yeah. you know um you know and i know that uh i know people who uh dress in ways that are not gender conforming who are scared of being murdered um, you know, the reality is we have a uh, trans murder spree going on and that's going on in the U.S. And I shudder to think of what it's like in uh, a lot of developing countries. Mm. Um, you know, my experience is that, you know, people can talk about BDSM, but uh, it's still scary for a lot of people. Certainly that tattoo culture has changed, the piercing culture has changed, the dress is more acceptable but um i still think this is an important message um i was thinking about um there's this wonderful uh bit when frank is uh doing the floor show and he's just been revealed uh with the rko thing um and and i have the soundtrack on like you know all my devices right so uh, there's this bit where, you know, he's talking, he says, whatever happened to Faye Ray? Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, uh, he's talking about her dress. And he says, as it clung to her thigh, 
how I started to cry because I wanted to be dressed just the same. Mm -hmm. And it's transcendent and beautiful. And, you know, I mean, I, I've dressed in drag. I enjoy it. Uh, it's something I've done maybe twice in the last 20 years, but it, I think it's cool. Um, I think that that is such a beautiful sentiment. Mm. Just, you know, as a kid realizing, you know, how many kids realize that, you know, now we know that people often realize that they're gay or that they're trans in uh, childhood and it stays for their whole life. How many kids had that experience and just, you know, recognize that and could say, my God, that's me. That's beautiful. Uh, I'm going to be that. Um, and I am filled with so much love and compassion and, and my, feel my heart move when Frank sings that. Uh, and I feel as if what, if I want to dress up in drag, that's great. If I want to be gay, that's great. And that freedom that he's talking about, that experience gives me the freedom to do those things if I decide tomorrow I want to do them, but also to, you know, like fashion, mm. to, you know, let myself, uh, you know, if I want to collect My Little Pony, collect My Little Pony, you know? <laughs> I mean, if I I, I, I like kind of some cute stuff, you know, that's like cute Japanese little trinkets, you know? It's okay. The world's I'm not going to go to hell because I'm not manly enough or something. Um so for me, that, that message, you know, that be it, don't uh, dream it. And that message, uh, however flawed in this film, is still one I need to hear. And it's one that certainly the society that I live in needs to hear. Uh, and, you know, as, as far as we've come, we both know that there are forces trying to drag us backwards. And um, I think they have to be opposed uh as strongly as humanly possible. No, I, you are right. And in maybe sort of like say, you and I travel in circles that are probably more accepting than the vast majority of things. Uh, and we're lucky to, to have those uh, friends and, and relationships where, like you say, you know, um, it's something I sort of try and instill in, in, in in Ellie, she's seven, and so she, you get those questions. We, we have a, a trans woman sort of living over the street from us, and I wouldn't say she's shunned, but she she's clearly very uncomfortable about doing things outside the house and stuff. And she seems to be getting more confident stuff. But there was a lot of time not long ago, sort of, uh, where Ellie would walk past and would be like, she said, she said to me, "Is that is that a woman?" And the simple answer was like, "Yes." <laughs> And then we've got to fulfill that with, well, I can't just leave it at that. And so that we have that conversation of like, well, you know, yeah, some people, there's degrees that like you are, you, you identify yourself as a little girl right now, but in some point in life, you may feel differently. And there are people that feel differently now and want to do things differently. And like, you have to have those conversations, but I think it's great that I can have those conversations and the world is now having those conversations. And if anything, I feel sorry for those people that can't have those conversations for whatever for whatever reason they have got some restraints or constraints around their life um because you're right it should be beautiful that you can say it's funny because um 
I dress very conventionally. I'm quite comfortable in a pair of t-shirt and a pair of jogging bottoms. You know, it's, it's like I'm not I'm not fabulous in any real way in that sense. I'm very conventional, and in many ways, I've always been quite jealous of those people that can. Like I always look at people and go, like, dude, you look awesome. You know, like. Um, but then other people have said to me, like, yeah, but you did wrestling. You went out in front of a group of people in lycra, and you go, <laughs> and you sort of go, yeah, you're right, I did. <laughs> and if anything, I yeah. would do it again at the drop of a hat. Um, and so you do realize actually yeah do you know what we've all got these things that we love and enjoy and make us feel great and so do you know what we should celebrate that in any way we can and I think you're right that this film does that and I think that's a that you know for all the points um, that all the points that we've said about you know good or bad about some of the characterizations and some of the problems with it bit aging this does have a really positive message overall and it should be celebrated so that is what i do thoroughly enjoy about this film we are, i've just realized we're sort of running vastly quickly out of time so i'm gonna ask final thoughts final thoughts on uh uh rocky horror picture show what are your final thoughts just a final sentiment from me then julian what are your final thoughts um I miss uh, that we're under COVID and I can't wear uh, colorful jackets. <laughs> That's my, uh, you know, expression. Yeah, I mean, I think we've said it all. I think, you know, uh, be it, don't dream it. If you haven't seen this, see it for all of its flaws. It is a beautiful and wonderful film that has, uh, you know, touched a lot of people and given a lot of people courage to uh, love themselves and love each other. Um, and for a musical that's also fun and you know wonderful, uh, how amazing is that? I, I, I agree. I mean, this this film works on so many levels. Like I say, it's a real positive message. It's just plain fun. Like the performances in this are brilliant. Tim Curry is just perfection in this film. Like, there's no other. You know, as you say, this and Clue are why I love him. I think he is fantastic. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, you know, but more than that, like it's got a kick-ass soundtrack. Uh, the message is positive. It's just fun. If you can get this, you can get this in many, many different ways. I'm sure you can stream it. There's DVD, Blu-ray. But more than that, like, and do, you know, I regret now that I haven't done it and I'm going to do it. As soon as we get the opportunity, whether it be in a drive-in or whatever we're going to do, see this with people, see it in a group, because this film is one of those films that should be celebrated as a group. Um and wherever the hell you want when you do it, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that note, I think we've, like you say, I think we've said it all. I've really enjoyed this one as well because it's been a quality one. Um, and I'm glad we paired it with Barbarella as well. I think that was a really cool, t- uh, little, you know, little um, combination of two camp classics. Um, but yeah, we're following this up now. We're getting into the 80s, and things start to take a dark twist, as they sort of did in the <laughs> 80s, to be perfectly honest. Uh, we're back with Cronenberg. Uh, uh, um, uh, we did the flight. Now we're going to be doing Videodrome uh, next week, and we're going to be questioning our reality. So really looking forward to that, because this film gets gets incredibly twisted. So that's going to be a good one. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, find us on Pod Time Space at, you know, at Twitter. Have us, what do you think of this? How have you... In fact, if you've done any kind of cosplay or anything to do with this and you've got photos share them with us i would love to see how people have gone to these events and taken photos share them with us get them out so we can see them that'd be great uh julian it's been fantastic uh thank you as always and uh we shall see you all next week 
across the streams.